Welcome to the Living Out of Order podcast, the podcast where I attempt to make you feel a little better about your weird life by sharing mine. I could attempt to explain the title to you, but my hope is that the meaning of the title reveals itself over time. Living out of order is a phrase that lends itself to multiple meanings, and I think you'll begin to sense that throughout future episodes. In the lessons and confessions I share with you, I hope you will find something useful to make your life better in some way. At times, you may be completely shocked and appalled and unable to relate. Other times, I hope you will see yourself somewhere in the stories and find hope and inspiration, or maybe even validation. For me, this is a chance to talk about things I may not get to talk about with others, explore life's challenges and lessons, and hopefully make some new friends along the way. So thank you for being here. Hello and welcome. This is Leo. This is episode two of Living Out of Order. So uh, hopefully you've listened to episode one and you've got some idea of what I'm about and where I'm coming from, etc. So um, today I decided that um, I'm going to uh, delve in a little deeper into uh, a story that I mentioned on the front end um, on the first episode about um, my mother and her suicide and the suicide note. I think that um, what you'll find from this story is um, how interpretation of events plays such a big role in uh, how we deal with things. Um, and I'll explain all that uh, as we go. But um, just a little backstory, as I explained in episode one, uh, I was 13 years old when my mother took her life. And um, the way it happened was I came home from school one day and um, got off the school bus. And I had done this you know, every day. And some days there would be somebody home, some days not. Oftentimes I was letting myself in. I was what, you know, what they call a latch, a latch key kid. And, uh, you know, I had a house key <clears throat> and I'd let myself in, you know, three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And I'd grab myself a snack and watch some sort of television or play games or whatever. And eventually, you know, parents would come home. Um, my mom was known to kind of go in and out of various jobs, uh, at the time. So, um, sometimes she'd be home and sometimes she wouldn't. But, uh, on this particular day, uh, it was a, a March day, spring day, early spring. And, um, I got off the bus and walked up the driveway and, um, you know, garage doors closed and I'm about halfway up the driveway and I can smell the carbon monoxide. And, um, I pretty much knew at that moment what had happened. And so I let myself in, went to the garage, opened the garage door, found her, <clears throat> um, in the, in the uh, driver's seat of the car. Uh, I don't remember I think the engine was no longer running at this point. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, opened the car door, tried to get her out, tried to do what form of resuscitation I knew how to do at the age of 13. And eventually I didn't know what to do. So I, uh, I left, went to a neighbor's house. I remember it pretty vividly. I dropped my books and stuff on their front porch and they weren't home. So then I went around the corner like three or four houses to um, another friend's house. 
<clears throat> and um, interrupted a Cub Scout meeting. Um, and uh, their mother was was there, and and um, uh, I asked for her help and kind of explained to her what was going on. It was kind of traumatic because these poor kids they're just kind of hovering around having a, a Cub Scout meeting, and here comes this you know older kid walking in with this radical news. So I called my dad at work from there and um, went from there. But um, and then as I get into further in future podcasts and episodes, I'll probably refer back to this a lot because as you can imagine, this has played a tremendous role in um, my life in terms of, you know, dealing with, with that um, feeling like an outcast as a child uh, through the remainder of my teen, teen years, um, you know, being a motherless kid, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so but what's interesting is this note that was left behind. Um, so we're talking about, um, let's see, what year was this? This was 1980. I have to think that through sometimes. So it was 1981 and uh, the spring of 81. And um, I say I was 13. Um, but yeah, I was 13 going on 14. Somewhere in the house, I think on the kitchen table, there was this note that was typed out, and I'm actually holding a copy of it in my hands right now. It's been uh, copied multiple times over the years, um, but it's a, it's a legal size piece of paper. I'm trying to describe it so that you know, since we don't we're not doing video, you can see this. It's a, a legal size piece of paper uh, with one inch margins all around. Um, my mom knew how to type, and this was done on a typewriter, so it's typed out. Um, very neatly in a series of paragraphs, and it's entitled "Open Letter to My Children" across the top, and uh, "Dear Children," and she's handwritten in after that our names. Now, of course, I'm not going to give you our names, but she's got my name, comma, my next sister, comma, and my oldest sister, uh, and right there across the top. So um, this was addressed to the three of us, and no mention of my father uh, in here. So when you're finding this after a woman has just taken her life, there's kind of this assumption that this is a suicide note. And as you can imagine, a 13-year-old boy who's just discovered his mother, um, who's decided to vacate and abandon us all, uh, this takes on a particular tone. So as I alluded to in episode one, we found out later that this wasn't actually intended probably to be a suicide note. But for the moment, I'm going to read this. And I want you to kind of imagine that you're, you know, a 13-year-old kid and you've just lost your primary caregiver or one of your primary caregivers. And for the next few years, you're grappling with this decision that she's made and wondering what to do and you know you're dealing with a you know a dad who's now single uh in his 40s and you know etc okay so i'm going to read this and then i want to go back and kind of talk about it so i'm just going to read this now so dear children it seems that we are all so involved in our day-to-day -day activities meals school housework play that there is rarely time to just sit down and get to know each other. So, 
In this year of the child, I thought I would share with you what is in my heart. You know me as someone who cares for your needs, cures your ills, and loves you dearly. But I am much, much more. I want you to know of my imperfections, my hopes and dreams, and my fears. Each night when you are in bed, I reflect on the day past, and I find myself at fault. Broken promises, impatience, mistaken priorities, and so much more. There has not been a single night that I have not been lacking. If you can forget the mistakes I have made, forgive the times I have hurt or embarrassed you, understand the times I was too busy to be with you, too ignorant to perceive your needs, too preoccupied to listen, I will be grateful. If you can regard me as your friend, I will be truly honored. While you are young, I teach you to be like myself, but that's not really what I want for you. I want you to be better than I am, to have more strength, more wisdom, and more understanding, and a better education, so that you can put your strength and wisdom to the greatest use. Please have the courage to say, I love you, the humility to say, I'm sorry, and enough faith in God to believe in yourself. If you are not a leader, be content that you are one of the ordinary, everyday people who do not contribute to the greatness of the world or to its downfall, but serve to keep it on an even keel. I want all of your dreams to come true, but I know they will not. And when you find yourself looking at the pieces of a shattered dream, just turn around and walk on to the next dream. I wish you would not make the same mistakes as I, but I know you will. I want to live with your mistakes, and I think she meant I want you to live with your mistakes, and learn from them, and always regret them. For when we cannot regret, we cannot hope. And when we cannot hope, we cannot go on to greater things. But no matter what your mistakes are, I will always love you. Everything in human relationships should be give and take, but this is not so. You, dear children, have given me all my happiness, but I cannot give you your happiness. You will have to go out into the world and find it yourself. God made this world so huge and so complex that he will have to guide your footsteps every inch of the way. He will never leave your side. I pray that you will never leave his. You have so many tears yet to shed, so much disappointment and pain ahead of you. Sometimes you will feel that your heart has been so badly broken that it could never heal, but it will. Your heart can store up countless sad memories and still go on beating. If I could have known on the day of your birth all that I know today, I could have been a better mother to you. If I had not been selfish, I could have given you more of myself. If I had not been afraid, I would have encouraged you to be independent much earlier. If I had not needed you, I would have given you more freedom. But if each of those things had occurred, maybe we wouldn't have had so much fun together. I have taken so much from you in your young life, and still I will ask for one more thing. When you are somewhere in the world, chasing your rainbows, and following your dreams, keep a few of your tomorrows for me. Your mother, dear children, 
is just a woman who sometimes wakes up at 3 o'clock a.m. and whispers, Oh God, why did you entrust me with so much? Do you really think I can do this job? And she receives the reply, Of course you can. Aren't I standing by your side? And then she signed it, Love Mom, with love spelled L-U-V, signed in cursive, and then dated 3 2 Dash eight one, so March March second, nineteen eighty one. So, like I said, you can imagine, you know, referring back to this from time to time in my young life, thinking about it as a suicide note. There are certain things that actually angered me about it. I mean, for example, the part in here um, where. She says, you know, you have so many you know, tears yet to shed and disappointment and pain ahead of you. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, of course I do. You, you took your life. You're no longer here to be my mother. Um, and then um, the part in here where, you know, I want all of your dreams to come true, but I know they won't. Um, and when you find yourself looking at the pieces of a shattered dream, just turn around and walk on to the next dream. Um, let's see, there's one particular part in here I'm trying to find it in here. That always kind of bugged me. Um, the part where she talks about, um, yeah, if you are not a leader, be content that you are one of the ordinary, everyday people who do not contribute to the greatness of the world. And reading this now and knowing what it really was intended for, it has a different vibe. But at the time, I read that and I, I'm, that stuck with me most of my life. And has been a driver. It's like, I mean, literally, I was like, F you. It's like, I'm not going to be ordinary and every day. I'm going to achieve something. I'm going to, at least I'm going to try my damnedest. Um, but what's interesting is that all came from the idea that it's like, don't tell me, you know, about how to live my life. You just took your own. So that was a, a little bit um, angering for me. Um, because I'm like, don't tell me how to live my life when you just took yours, you know? Um, and I've carried that with me through most of my life until, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, that my brother-in-law read this letter for apparently the first time last summer. My sister, um, my middle, the middle child, um, she lives close to me uh, here in town and um, they were moving to a different place. And my sister had come across this letter and handed it to her husband and said, read this. And he was like very impressed with the way it was written, but he noted something that apparently none of us really caught before. So in the beginning of the second paragraph, it says, so in this year of the child, etc., etc. Well, the year of the child was not in 1981. The international year of the child was in 1979. So who knows when she wrote this? I just learned that uh, last year. <clears throat> so when, when I think of it that way, that this letter was written as an open letter to her children in the year of the child, it takes a whole it takes on a whole different meaning. 
And it makes me realize that she did love us and there was good intention behind this note. Why she chose to leave this behind um, when she took her life, maybe because I guess she had never shared it with us before. She tucked it away um, or for whatever reason, and that's when she decided to share, uh, to share it with us. But it, it, it sort of washed away some of that anger and some of that resentment, resentment that I had for some of these, these statements in here. So um, it's interesting because as I've done a lot of reflection over the last couple of years um, after my, my last um, long-term relationship ended, I've, I've learned um, to kind of, you know, use this translator um, in, in when I'm in dealing with, with situations and, and not attributing malice and not taking things personally and not making assumptions. And um, that would have been huge to know back then at 13 that when I was reading this, um, that there was a key little <clears throat> uh, tip in here that this was not written uh, with the intention of, hey, I just took my life. Here's some uh, some advice and uh, won't you be sad for your poor mother? Th- this was written out of love. And um, so anyway, I just wanted to share that. Um, and so maybe with that story, maybe you can think about things in your life where maybe you're missing the details uh, maybe you're 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 making certain assumptions about um, what somebody is doing, um, what they've done, or what they've said, um, you know, behaviors, actions, words, um, and attributing certain things to it. And that maybe with just a little shift in perspective, uh, it takes on a whole different meaning. Um, you know, interpreting it a little bit differently. Um, so that's all I really wanted to leave you with today is um, just that story, a personal story um, from my background. And um, I think that uh, it's uh, got a nice lesson in it that uh, it, it, for me, it's a little sad um, that it, it took this long. I mean, I'm currently 53. I think I was almost 53 when I found out about it. I think it was last July. So I was like 52, almost 53 because I, tur- I, I turned 53 in August. But, you know, so literally 40 years <laughs> has gone by since she took her life. And just, you know, just now this is coming to light that, you know, thanks to my brother-in-law that, you know, this really wasn't a suicide note at all. So anyway, just want to share that with you. And um, I'm not sure what we'll get into next time, but um, I'm going to probably dive into some of my other uh, stories that I mentioned in episode one, and we'll we'll tear them apart and see what we come up with. But uh, but until then, I hope you live a productive life until I get my next uh, episode done. Um, not really falling into a cadence yet. I'm not, I'd like to do these um, every couple, couple of weeks, but I haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, and maybe think about this and apply this somewhere in your life that uh, maybe it's, it's useful. So anyway, um, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening.